Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have Ishtar Howell. And Ishtar had a traumatic accident that changed his life dramatically. His mother passed in that accident and had a profound moment of awakening through his near-death experience. As he describes it, all of my fears and tensions vanished in a sudden instant, and a sublime peace washed over me. So, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Ishtar. How are you doing, Ishtar? I'm doing very well, Alex. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you so much for coming on the show. You have a unique, uh, I mean, we all have a unique life story, mm-hmm. but yours is, you, you've walked the, the, your journey has been interesting to say the least. <laughs> it's, it's starting <laughs> at a very, very young age. So my very first question to you is, sir, what was your life before your spiritual awakening, before you know, before the the near death experience and all that, and I know that's not a lot of time either. Before that, because we were very young when it happened. Yes. Uh, well, yes, about thirteen years before uh, that happened, it was an interesting combination of Midwest normal and 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 way the hell out there, uh, and and they were they were right next to each other, and I, you know, you you kind of accept the life that you're born into, mm-hmm. and and that was pretty much all all I ever knew. So. Um, for, for instance, at, at the same time that it would seem, and I was always very skeptical, and, and I thank my parents for raising me uh, to have my two feet on the ground and to do my best to be a, uh, a critical thinker. But, you know, at the same time, I, from the time I was in my crib, I was having various spiritual experiences. I was, um, you know, seeing ghosts, um, seeming to be having interactions with some of them, maybe seeing other types of beings. Uh, more important than that, I think, uh, was basically I was kind of naturalistically meditating. And of mm. course, I didn't know that I was meditating. But, uh, you know, for instance, the way I used to go to sleep, which was very, very pleasurable, and I would basically do this kind of breathing technique, which, and I would breathe, then hold it, then let it go. And while I was doing this, I would feel this beautiful honey-like current running up my spine. And, and I, and I, you know, just, it would just relax me completely and I would send it into different parts of my body. And then when I was ready to kind of um, leave, I would let it go out the top of my head and I would go with it. And sometimes I would remember where I went and, you know, remember it the next morning. And sometimes I'd just go off into, you know, regular uh, sleep from that. So things like that were going on. I remember um, I, I have memories that I'm not supposed to have, which I discovered when I took my uh, senior year uh, AP psychology class. And it's like, you're not supposed to go back before 2.5. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, <laughs> it seems that, that there's an aberration here. Because uh, I, I remember my mother, uh, I remember being changed, my, my diapers being changed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing which family member I wanted to, to, to be doing it, also depending upon what mood they're in. And, and sometimes, you know, when it was my mom, I usually preferred, but when she was in sort of a foul mood, I'm like, oh God, brace yourself. Uh, <laughs> because it would be a little bit, um, you know, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But so, so weird things like that, that little, little things like that. And, and then, you, you know, kind of the, there was a sense of a uh, unitive sense uh, to the consciousness. And that unitive sense was, was there even when I was skinning my knee and crying, or I, I remember having temper tantrums, but there was this, this sort of deep quiet space that, that, you know, a certain amount of my awareness would, would sort of be moored in. And I would basically watch myself having these temper tantrums. Um, and other times uh, I would experience my awareness being in this body, but also my mother's body, my sister, my dad, the chest of drawers, the curtains, the everything in the room. And when I would let myself explore into that, it was just a, a really beautiful, pleasurable experience. So you, so this is all happening before you're, you turn 13. So no one's teaching you this, nor have you had any exposure no. to this. This is all instinctual, no. all coming from you. Yes, yes. It was, you know, there, there were no, um, you know, uh, <laughs> light being teachers coming and saying, whispering things in the crib, as far as I remember. Right. Uh, but this, you know, this is, this is very naturalistic type stuff. And uh, you know, obviously at that age, you're not thinking of it as, as spiritual or whatever. You just kind of, it's just happening and you're just going with it and, you know, just so, fine. And, and just, no. just, yeah, you're just rolling with whatever you're giving. Cause at that age, whatever, mm -hmm. it, whatever is presented as normal is normal. Right. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, then maybe kind of started going down to Hill at about age six or seven. And, and you know, my, my, the, the kindergarten teacher at the parent teacher thing said, told my mother, he's got a great personality. And I, this was the first time I've actually, I actually remember clocking that word and being curious about what that meant. Mm -hmm. And so on the walk home, I was asking my mom, what's a personality? You know, what, what, what does she mean by that? And, and she went on explaining that to me. In, in some depth, she was very uh, interested in psychology. She'd later get a master's degree and become a, a therapist. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so for some reason, a light bulb went off when she was describing it. I was like, oh, I got to get me one of those. And, and so, you know, I'll call this like a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, but probably will. But uh, so, so then I, I don't know, I, it, was, it was a period of uh, when she would come and dress me in the morning. I was, I was being babied. I was the baby of the family. So you, you get mm -hmm. treated like a little kid longer. Mm -hmm. uh, I, would, I would tell her what I would create my personality for the day. And I would say like, today I'm going to be afraid of this and, and basically make myself elaborate backstories. And, and you know, kind of, and, and each day I could, you know, I could take it up, put it on, take it off. And it was, it was great. And, and, you know, eventually after, after first grade, in which I had a terrible time, um, I, I started to kind of get, get stuck in one. And I, I used that ability as sort of a, a defense mechanism. I told my sister, I know how I'll have a better time at school. I'll just, I will, I will put up, um, I will show people what they want to see. And so then they won't bother me. And I'll be, and she said, no, she said, don't do that. You know, she's my older sister. So she's looking out for me about seven years old. She said, you're going to forget who you are. And I, and I, you know, it's like, no, 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 I've got, I've got this covered sis, you know? Uh, and then I remember a year later, I was eight and, and my parents, I had a problem. They just said, just be yourself. And I asked them like, what the hell? You know, I didn't swear actually, but I said, what do you mean by that? And, and I went off in a huff. And then I told my sister, oh, sis, you were right. I, I, I completely, I, I don't even know A oh, from B, am. it's all, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just, I was, you know, like, I was really frustrated. And, and but, you know, that, yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, I mean, you've, you've had a very interesting life up to the, up to the next question I'm going to ask you, which is your near-death experience. Can you talk mm. to me a little bit about your near-death experience? Because I've never, I've had, a, I've spoken to a lot of people who've had near-death experiences, but never one as young as you. Mm. Um, so I'm really mm. curious about what a perspective of a 13 year old was in mm. that, in that experience. Right. Right. Uh, well, in, in, in my case, I'm actually very grateful that I, I had seemed to have some preparation for it. And that, that's an important part of, of, of the story to, to relate, uh, in, in the sense that the, the night before, um, I, I'd actually had the night before, while playing um, baseball, I had my arm broken by a particularly hot fastball uh, right there. And so I was, you know, we got an x-ray and I knew it was broken. And I was, my, my, my boo-hoo story was I'm going to miss half of half or all of baseball season or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and while I was talking with my mom before going to bed, uh, we just talked about normal stuff. And uh, it just flew through my mouth, threw, flew out of my mouth without me thinking about it. No, no filter. Are you going to die soon? 
We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and it was kind of, it actually kind of shocked her and shocked me a little bit, which, which was also unusual. My, my mother wasn't particularly, uh, she, she's quite unflappable and things like that. It would be something that would bother her. And she was in pretty good health. It was, it was my dad we were usually worried about uh, in, in, in that way, you know, too many bologna sandwiches. But um, uh, as you do in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anyhow, uh, so, you know, sh- you know, she kind of um, let it slide off and so did I. And she said, no, I'm going to be around for a while. I'll always be there um, if you need me. And I was like, all right. And I just went to bed. And the next morning I woke up like a cartoon character springing suddenly from sleep into waking and um, breathing really quickly and heavily, uh, just as my parents were passing by the door. And I asked them, I told them, like, I have something important I have to tell you. And then when I went to retrieve the message, it wasn't there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, but I can't remember what it is. And I was I was so distraught that I couldn't remember this, this thing that they, like, had to call me down for about five minutes. Mm. And this was, like, the second to last day of the school year. Usually a day that you really enjoy because, you know, no homework and, you know, whatever. Sure. Go. And um, so, they, yeah, they called me down. They went off. That was the last time I saw the two of them together. Um, as as my parents and then I went to school and did the school day thing and um, came home and we uh, dropped my sister off at her new workplace which was out at the edge of town and uh, just as we were driving out to make a left turn across one of those uh, uh, divided highways um, it seemed that was you know an uneventful crossing of a road because there was a, a visible car that was nowhere near going to hit us, but apparently there was a car hidden right behind that, which, which just started to put on their old accelerator at just at the, at the worst time. And as we drove, I was going to talk to my mother and it, there was a big old gray Lincoln, like, you know, just about a few inches probably from my mother's uh, car door. And uh, instead of uh, you know, instead of freezing in fear or having my adrenaline go up at all, I was completely calm. Uh, a calm sort of descended and I had time for two thoughts. And the first one was, of course, oh, shit, um, as you would. As and the you second, would. you know, I, as you would. Yeah. And, and I just figured this was the end. I was absolutely certain this was it. You know, this was this was the end. And so the second thought was kind of taking me to this very uh, deep place of consciousness as if I was going down a well in my mind and it was basically I really thought this one was going to go more than 13 years that was that was I was like confused that this that there was a derivation there was a change in the script uh, and you know that I was like Man, really this one was going a while uh, and and then uh, right after I thought that this was even before the impact so I never thought of my experience as a near-death experience for years um, because I I watched that film Flatliners from the 90s and I thought no that's a near-death experience you know it's like uh, <laughs> I wanted one of those except for the ghost kid you, you know it's like that seemed like very stressful uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dating we're dating ourselves again here absolutely I, I, I have no idea <laughs> I've never seen that movie don't nor do I understand what you're talking no, about sir. I, I don't know what I was talking about either <laughs> <laughs> it was a fantastic movie fantastic movie back in the day yes yeah so so uh, you know uh, a lot of stuff happened before the car impacted us and, and that must have been just a split second i mean it couldn't have been that long at all but it felt like a lifetime transpired in that moment because as mm-hmm. soon as i you know thought um you know i thought this was going more than 13 years immediately it was a very physical sensation almost later on um parts of it felt like an orgasm Mm-hmm. In, in its power in, in a sense as, as well yes ecstasy uh, because the, the life review started to happen and and fun, you know this was actually something um you know my whole life went back from that moment to birth like a tape with with every little frame and c- complete clarity and I, this which was interesting because I, I had heard about those as a kid and I was, I was, I was always curious if that really happened. I was very skeptical. I was like, how could you have that much experience and, in, in, in just that um, bit of time? And sure enough, every, every single moment. Only in, in the, in this case, there was also a sense that I was in contact with this 
vast, deeply objective, perfectly objective aspect of myself or aspect of God or whatever. I, I you know, didn't have any box for, for that, but it was, a, it was a part of consciousness that I had been familiar with as a kid. And, you know, as I got older and more of an ego, I didn't like it all the time because it would come in and say like, yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I was in, I would, but in this time I was completely happy with being in touch with this thing because we went through my whole life and every, every place where there was pretense or um, fear or lying or some place where I was, you know, where I would nowadays say where I was resisting life, where I, where I was running from God, running from consciousness was, was, was completely seen and, and forgiven. And, and it was, and it felt as if physically it felt like I had been living with some kind of thin, but extremely heavy covering on me, even in a fairly non-traumatic life, mm-hmm. you know, and I did have that thought come in, in, in as part of the process of like, wow, but I've only been 13 and I've been in a nice place. How could you have all this crap, right. <laughs> you know, as, as it was being taken off of me and felt so wonderful with each step. And then we got to the end. Um, and, and as we went back, actually, also each scene became more and more suffused with, with essentially what felt like a golden light. And uh, like, like a lot of other people, I wasn't just experiencing um, the life from my individual perspective. Um, I was experiencing it from both the individual perspective, other people's perspective, and, and a cosmic ex- perspective, which seemed to encompass all of them simultaneously. There, there wasn't any confusion about this. There, there was no, in fact, it was the clearest experience that, that I could remember for a long time, if, if, if at all, up to that point. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, when it finally came to an end, I was, you know, basically, there was no difference from that, that realm or whatever, it, you know, that I was experiencing there than everything I was looking at. I remember looking at the, my mother's shoulder, the dashboard of the car, the um, man in the Lincoln car, his car, the sky, everything was was filled with with this light you know a, a kind of light that that's beyond beyond light and and i had this complete realization that everything was actually made up of love the whole time and i was completely i was the most alive i'd ever been in that moment mm-hmm. of, of just being done it was it was just it was beautiful and then you know um bam uh, we, you know we got hit pretty hard so this and, was all happening before you got hit yep Wow. So you, you, this happened in that, that split second or two before you see the car yeah. and, and there. So that's interesting. I haven't heard that before uh, in a near death experience where you, it happens almost preemptively. In yes, time. yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's why I never categorized it as an, as an NDE. Um, you know, actually it reminded me of what I watched that that uh, Warren Beatty film. Here's another one. Heaven can wait, and and That's his right. angel pulls him out of off of his bicycle before he gets hit. But of course, he wasn't going to get hit. His angel made the mis- made the mistake. But um, I, I was reminded of that. I was like, oh, they just you know they just wanted me, you know, cool to to survive this accident because I so, I whacked my head really good. I remember. So that. so and, so then so yeah. after you got hit, there was no more near-death experiences no more mystical experiences or spiritual experiences after you got hit everything happened prior to the accident oh i mean it happened after i was after they took me out of the car too uh, oh yeah you know, so you I, were still came. so you were out during that time as well oh yeah i got i got concussed uh, and then it was a big whack no bruise which which is still strange to this day i didn't i i i had a broken arm from the day before but the only injury that was aggravated was I had a broken middle finger on that arm. So for part of the summer, I went around with a cast that was shaped like this, which, yeah. which was actually kind of in, indicated, you know, my mood in a lot of ways. Um, right. But no, no, it, you know, I came to uh, with the sound of the, the seatbelt, um, ding, 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 going in my mother's labored breathing and the um, people using the big skill saw, taking the doors off of our, uh, car to get us out of there and then pulling me out and you know really skillfully putting me on the gurney and being very careful in case I had spinal injuries you know they, they did a really good job for the both of us and they got us into an ambulance very quickly and you know they're asking me my name and and I was saying like I have no idea what my name is <laughs> but that's my mom over there that's all I could know because I was really concussed and then in the ambulance of uh, I had that 
phenomena happened where I, you know, they had my neck strapped down. I was seeing that through my eyes and answering the questions of the EMT as best I could. But I was also floating at the top of the ambulance, looking down on the whole scene. Mm. And, and it was simultaneous. And then, uh, you know, my mother called my name out twice, you know, asking, and I said, I'm okay twice. And the first one, I don't think she registered, but the second one she did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And um, because after, after that, her breathing went from this kind of um, labored breath, I think really struggling to stay inside a, just mm-hmm. a, a broken body. And, and then went into this very um, calm, measured kind of let go. We were, we were in the ambulance together and I had that weird of dual consciousness, dual perspective thing going where I was in my body, but also kind of at the top of the ambulance. And uh, my mother called my name twice. And, and, I, and to both uh, calls, I said, I'm okay. And the second one she registered. And not, I, I knew not only because her breathing changed and became a very calm breathing as if, as if she was just letting go because mm-hmm. she knew that I was fine. And that made, you know, her last job was done you know, to make sure I was okay. Which you know, actually it's in some ways more than all the mystical experiences before and after. In some ways, in some ways, that actually um, touched my soul uh, the deepest. Uh, that singular um, moment interaction. Uh, in whenever I had challenging times um, later in life, I would remember that, and I would I would remember um, the strength of a parent staying in their dying body to make sure that their child was okay, and so that would give me the um, strength to do a lot of difficult things mm. and, and a lot of right things that were hard to do. So, you know, that, that actually touched me practical terms more than most things. Uh, I also felt her go. And really? um, yeah, yeah. It's interestingly enough when, and, you know, of course I've always been very skeptical of this too, you know, uh, careful not to frame things in, in ways that maybe are, not how they are, but when she called my name, there was, it's as if her, her, her voice was in me, you know, that there was no sound coming from a separate place, reaching the separate person. There was a real unitive sense of the communication. Even I felt her as if overlapping with me to a certain degree up at the top of the ambulance. Mm. And when, when she kind of, when her breathing changed, I felt her in a sense go off. You know, it, it almost felt like a, like a breeze finding in some way. And at the time I didn't, you know, I wasn't, God, I was this concussed 13 year old. I was not interpreting that as I'm not going to see my mom again alive in that body. I thought, no, we're going to get to the ambulance maybe and they're going to, I'm the hospital, they're going to patch us up. You know, well, life, life will go on maybe. Uh, and, you know, that didn't happen. And, you know, the next thing there, we're in the hospital, she's in the, behind several uh, rounds of blue curtains and, lo- and the din of voices of doctors over there. And they're trying to save her. I'm out because I guess I was, they, they knew I was all right. I'm still on a gurney because they wanted to check and make sure my spine was okay. Right. Uh, but I'm out in the gurney and, and then my sister is there and she's crying because she's thinking that, you know, both her mother and younger brother might be um, maybe kaput. And then dad came out and, and gave us the bad news. And, you know, that, that hit like a, like a medicine ball to the gut. And, you know, it's kind of a blur of sadness and crying and shock, mm. you know, being let out, of the, let out of the hospital. And the good-hearted uh, ladies from the Lutheran social services offering, offering hugs that I, I really wasn't quite in the, I wasn't Move quite forward. in the space for, mood yeah. for at the time, but I, I, I know they, they were meant, meant very well. And, uh, and so then we were driven home by my dad's best friend. And, uh, you know, that the next two days were kind of a blur of, of grief in some ways. Uh, but then after the blur of grief, it was very interesting. Uh, I, I had, again, it was sort of this, this dual experience like happened earlier in childhood, only now it was a young teenager uh, who was in grief for his mother. So I would have all the, just like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, laid out the stages of grief. I was going through them all like a textbook. 
uh, you know, through through that summer. And but at the same time, there was a silence that was that was just always there that I couldn't shake. And uh, at first, I thought this was shock, and then I would be thinking like, "Man, this shock is pretty good." You, you know, um, I, I'm I'm glad for the shock, uh, you know, because there's this vastness that was. Um, not really in my body, but in my body, but everywhere. Mm. And when I would, I could somehow like dip into it, like it was some kind of a substance, like a lake, and I could go deeper into it. And whenever I would do that, I, I started to find that um, waves of bliss would, would flow up through my body, um, like they had when I was much younger. So I was having kind of having fun with that, treating it like a phenomenon. I was very curious about this relationship between going into this big silent thing and and all this going on. And, and the more I would go into that, I would also, this, this kind of love would pour into my heart and wrap around the people uh, that I was with or the things that I was looking at. And it was very interesting. And all that was going on, though, at the same time that it was as if a, a waterfall of, of grief and the different emotions were running through my body very unobstructed you, you know just just uh, you know anger as well you know saying like i didn't exactly believe in a god at the time i didn't have any uh religion uh but you know i said if there is a god I, you know fuck you you know, right my mom you know punching the wall even when i was punching a wall there was this weird quietude that was that was in the background which i was like okay yeah and i couldn't shake it i would actually try to shake it because i want to see can i shake this thing you know, and I, and I couldn't, it's like, I, I couldn't have it. I couldn't get away from the, the joy that was in there too. And I didn't express it to people. <laughs> was it, you know, what, what, do you believe that it was almost a gift that was given to you to kind of deal with this process? It, well, in a way, yes. Um, in, in another way, I, I kind of, especially that I had some kind of precognition that it was going to happen. Mm. That, that helped a lot in, in a sense that, and I, I was not a stranger to precognitive experience just there was there I had no experience that was related to such a major um, thing before but that that helped me get through it uh, looking back uh, and not not even long after look, looking back I realized no that was my that was kind of my initiation you know that was my as hard as it came as a yeah. lesson that was my yeah that was that was the the fire I you know for I had a sense that at some level of my being you know, like my mother and I got together before the lifetime and said, like, look, if, if you know, if if plan X, you know, has to happen, this is what it's going to be like. And, and that was just, the, it was just a very um, uh, sense that that was the case. And and years later, I realized it wasn't shock that I was going through, at least not all of it. Initially, yes. But later, I realized it wasn't shock. It was, it was Samadhi. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that kind of hung around for most of the summer. I mean, it wasn't there. Sometimes it'd be there very deep, sometimes a little bit shallow. It was always there. I could still be a, like a jackass teenager and, and you know, goof, goof off with friends and, you know, whatever, say a lot of stupid stuff um, as, as, as a 13-year-old does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it faded. And so I went to a school year again, eighth grade. And, and socially and academically, I got a lot of things that I'd, I'd wanted for years. Of course, it was very empty and hollow, uh, and I was trying to be the person that I was before. I was trying to resume the life that I had before, and it was like, you know, it was like trying to put on shoes that were two sizes too small. In a sense, it was painful. I wanted to be not only for myself because I was very goal oriented before, but for my dead mother, in a sense, for my dad, for my whole family. I wanted to live up to who they wanted me to be certain degree people please and it just was not, it was not going very well internally yeah. at all and and so i remember yeah it's it, well first of all i want to thank you so much for being so honest and, and and forthcoming with your story i know it's painful to go back into that that time of losing your parents and, and then just it's just such it seems like such a confusing time for you because at one side you've lost your your mom at the other side you're discovering your spirituality you're discovering these things that are happening to you it must have been you must have been in turmoil how did you deal with it on a psychological basis because on a spiritual <laughs> ba- on a spiritual basis i get i get the you know i've been meditating for a long time i understand the bliss the the yeah. feeling of love I, when you go deep into a mm. meditation and and that's kind of what you were doing in many ways without you knowing it it's in, yes, in, yes. in some ways but 
having to deal with that and the anger and the and all this stuff at the same time at a, at the level of a 13 year old let alone an adult it would be difficult for an adult to do this let alone 13 so psychologically how did you deal with this these stressors both on both sides we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show um serial girlfriends that's that's actually partially true it's actually true yeah it's a distraction it's a distraction no no i I know exactly what you mean you know know, when i say no when i say these in these these interviews well not exactly distraction but but in these interviews because i I had a lot of lovely people in my life and and if i think about eighth grade through about my sophomore year of high school usually i like to issue a blanket apology to everybody i ever interacted with in in a a sense no that's but um besides that no it was actually very wonderful i the summers were always good for me because for some reason in the summers uh, i would cram as much self-discovery and, and transformation as i could into those three months mm-hmm. and and one in the summer after eighth grade i was um you know initially i was trying to get back to whatever that thing was after the car accident and and you know my brilliant scorpio mind decided that oh it must have been your proximity to death so we got to scare you buddy and, and so jump I out of a plane. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, cars um, at, at very slow speeds of, of people who were a little bit older, who weren't adults, um, golf carts, a friend had, had golf carts on their property oh, and we, we got it going. And, and, and so the, the last, when I quit that, um, it was when I almost like, I think broke my, almost broke my left arm because I, I jumped out and instead of knowing that I should roll, I tried to land on my two feet and then I, I had a split second of like, oh, that was, you know, and, and it was, you know, onto, and then I quit that because I thought, oh, my dad's going to be really upset if I break my arm from jumping off a golf cart because I'm trying to have a near-death experience. Oh, um, so you were literally trying to go back to having a near-death experience because you associated spirituality with near-death yeah. experience. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 or something like that. I mean, I wasn't even calling it an NDE. I was, yeah, I was, I was like, um, but then I walked into, a, thank God I went to this metaphysical bookstore with my sister because I, I did not have interest in such stores because all I could see was the outside. I saw incense and weird shiny wind chime things. Sure. And that wasn't my vibe, but I went in because I was a very dutiful younger brother. I just, I, I, you know, I'm going to go where sister goes. And I went in the back and I just picked up some books at random. And, and one of them I opened up and it was kind of on um, yogis and, and I opened up to one page where they were describing different um, Samadhi experiences. And I, I was reading, I was, I was going, what in the world? because what they were describing was essentially what what I had been experiencing sounded very similar and so I was in that bookstore for when when I ever I could be uh, for for the next two years and and I I had a kind of a tacit um, arrangement with the owner what by tacit of course I mean there was no arrangement but it kind of felt like there was Uh, so so as I could read I would read all the books I would not buy them but every like once a month I would get money from my dad uh, to buy like a talisman and so I'd go buy like a, a talisman as long as I didn't damage any books I felt we were good and he just let me stay there and read all the books and I went through tons of stuff mm-hmm. and uh, some of it I didn't really understand very well but I you know I still made a made a go at that and then you know I was sent some in, in very interesting spiritual friends into my small town uh, one, one of them went with my friend Pam and she was a, a transcendental meditation teacher but also kind of a local clairvoyant and uh, she gifted me a psychic reading for my birthday, but mainly she just talked and had this presence about her. And, and I noticed the thing in her was very similar to what I had been feeling before, which, which I keyed me in. Um, then I met a, a friend named Austin, but I had tons of interesting experiences with that would take two hours of an interview to go through those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things were wild around Austin, uh, synchronicities and uh, strange happenings and but but that most importantly that presence was with them too and and so you know i was, I was kind of you as, as much as out. i could i was figuring it i was out. i was getting in their presence and and i knew i had to meditate but i was also scared of it in a sense and i didn't have good instruction i, I turned down tm instruction which is probably good because that my soul's my heart said you know, it is for you, but it's not, not this lifetime is basically what it said. It's like, okay, I, I won't, I won't do it. And, um, uh, you know, then I, I eventually after three, four years in high school, I started 
meditating regularly, I, I, I opened up that box, which was to me a little bit like a Pandora's box. I, I had, the, there was this, this deep desire in me that I couldn't quite put words to, but sometimes I would call it the crazy monk, uh, for lack of a better term. And I felt if I open that box, there's no turning back. Mm. I had the sense that if I let myself let this thing, that, that this thing within me rise up, that being who I was, I would have to take it to its completion. Otherwise it wouldn't be worth it. So I kind of artfully kind of tried to not open it, but you know, have my cake and eat it too, to a certain degree. And then at, at one point I was just, no, we got to dive in, we have to do this. And, and so, and so I did, and I started meditating six hours a day with, with my techniques I learned from a book and techniques I learned from people who'd, who'd come through town, not necessarily always the best techniques. Uh, I was taking cold showers at three in the morning uh, and, you know, waking up and then doing three hours of meditations and yoga and, and Qigong and, uh, you know, doing more in the evening and just like, you I, were had all to, in. I had to do it. You were I all had in. to do it. Yeah, I was all in. I had to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I somehow like happens to a lot of people, autobiography of a yogi. I see you have a wake over there. That book came into my life. I think it was my brother-in-law, my future brother-in-law. We brought it up if I remember correctly. And I devoured that thing that reading that book for the first time, especially was essentially like I was in satsang with some grand being who lived in my heart and uh, reading the pages. It was as if there was this beautiful love that was pouring through my body and pouring out of my heart. And I remember getting to a point in the book where Yogananda promised, um, you know, whoever prays to Babaji, you, you know, like gets a blessing, you'll hear it now. Yeah. It's, it's like, all right, Yogananda. You didn't, you didn't know I was going to be reading this because I'm going to be, you know, I'm asking, you know, I'm asking a lot. And, yeah, Bob, and I, Bob, I know right, right, right behind see, me. Yeah, there yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I remember praying one night um, and here again, I was always been skeptical of this too, but I, I prayed one night when I was in my deepest meditation uh, in, in that particular session. I said, okay, all right. And I, and I sent this prayer up from my heart, you know, uh, you know, to Babaji. And uh, right after I said that, this, this sensation of like a, a ball, um, pleasurable ball coming down into my crown happened. It was so delightful. And it ran down the back of my head and ran down my spine and ran into my heart. And there was kind of an audio, auditory um, uh, feature to it, which, which was like, you know, pay attention to this frequency, you know, because I was basically asking him, could you help me sh show me to my path? And, and I thought it might be in, in one of the Kriya Yoga schools but when i got the um when i got the brochure from the ananda community um as soon as i saw it my, my mind said sex scandal and <laughs> i was right you know <laughs> uh my, my grand yeah. my grandma liked that one because they had good teeth and I, and I was you know i was just like no no he's there's something there's something wrong in the state of denmark here mm -hmm. um and and I, I was sending to different monasteries Zen, and and anything i got it wasn't quite it didn't have a certain music about it. It didn't, I knew it wasn't my, my, my spiritual homes. So that's why I prayed to Babaji because I wasn't being able to do it on my own very well. And then a few couple of days later, I was coming home and, and my, my soon to be brother-in-law was on the front stoop with my sister. And he said, Hey, um, one, of, one of the Ascension classes we were going to go to got canceled. There's one in Minneapolis this weekend. You want to come? Uh, and, and, you know, as, as, as I was walking home and as he said that, that same frequency from the other night had been building um, in, in my head. And, and I basically found myself saying yes. And which was strange because I'd become very, I'd become a little bit infamous for saying no to everything, you know, that, that interfered with my rigid meditation schedule. I'd just mm -hmm. be like, no, 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 no. And uh, uh, so saying yes was, was at that moment was, was, was odd and yeah. It, it, it's fascinating. Your story is so fascinating, my friend, because you, I mean, you're literally explaining the process of how a 13 year old or even actually a younger person goes through a major experience. And then you're, you're literally detailing, you're trying to figure out how to get back to that feeling because at, a, at, yeah. at the age of 13, there's just no, you got nobody around. You don't have a guide. You don't have a guru. You don't have anybody. And you're no. just like, is it, should I go on a golf cart and try to die again? Maybe that's it. And you <laughs> like, literally that's hilarious uh, and terrifying all at the same time, but, just, <laughs> but, it, but you eventually found your way into an ashram where, uh, for my, for my understanding, you stayed there for many years. What was life like inside the ashram and in, in this kind of 
monk-like life that you started to lead. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Well, for, for most of my six and a half years with this ashram and our satellite centers, for five and a half of those years, it was my own little Shangri-La, essentially. Um, although it, it could be wild, and I'm not without, not without criticisms for groups like that, but it wasn't, it, you know, it was far from a bad cult. I, I used to call it my benign cult, even when I was in it. Uh, as they, and, my, and people were like, yeah, I think that's accurate. You, you know, that's an accurate designation. It's a benign uh, But cult. I loved it. My, my, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I'm in a benign cult. Um, uh, I, I God, it was magical. I, j- just even arriving at the door of the place uh, after a night on a Greyhound bus from Seattle to the Oregon coast, uh, getting picked up. It's actually funny how they picked me up. They were picking up scaffolding. I ended up like burrowed into the scaffolding in the back of this band. And I loved it. So like, this is exactly how one should show up at a monastery. There needs to be some hardship. And I was planned to like, like sleep out in the woods outside their building until they admitted me. I thought this is, this must be what they're going to do. This is, you, you need to show commitment to the, to the path. You know, that was my, my wiring. No, no such hardship like that to my chagrin, but they, they did stuff me into scaffolding. So I guess there's that. Uh, and, but it was magical. It was meeting, it was having the sense of, of I would meet people and my whole spine would be lit up. Um, and there would be such an electricity in my spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I would, most of the people that I met, beautiful. And I wasn't one necessarily prone to becoming overexcited like that. So that's why I also kind of took it to, to be uh, more meaningful. And I was, I was a very skeptical person, skeptical people when I meet them, but my goodness. And then it was like being x-rayed, um, especially one of the main teachers. Um, she had a powerful presence. And I remember um, it was, I was pretty frightened, uh, kind of in that good, for me, that good frightened way, but still kind of like having a sense of that, that this woman is in me from the inside out. This is not in, like, not in an invasive way. I've been psychically attacked before and that was yuck, but I felt this woman in some ways was, knew me more than I knew myself. Mm. And that was intimidating. And somehow I made it through my interview on the hot seat. I don't know how I did. Uh, uh, and uh, I stayed around three months and three months. And I thought it was the runt of the meditative litter. And I was thinking, oh my God, like I'm, I don't think, I don't have any silence compared to all these folks around me. I, I better give this up and go back, live a normal life, um, go back to Wisconsin. And I, I went, um, I, I went to my sister's wedding, which was back home. Mm-hmm. And boy, when I got there, I just, I could feel the silence that had actually built up through my practice. Mm. Uh, I, I felt so still compared to my environment and, and so much magic and synchronicity was happening. So I, I went back and I was much more comfortable when I went, uh, when I went yeah. back and uh, it's just magic. We, uh, one of the other magical things was a year before, I always forget this, a year before I was uh, went to the monastery before I'd started meditating, like as much as I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was in the Walmart, and and I just it came to me to ask the question of the universe, like, gee, where am I going to be a year from now? Because I was trying to figure out like what college to apply to and all these other things that you you do. And I just like, where am I going to be a year from now? And to my surprise, an answer was brought back to me, uh, and and uh, a, a picture in front of me with a narrated voice. Uh, was was in my mind and it said, well, actually, you're going to be uh, working in a with a bunch of monks in a mostly vegetarian cafe. Um, many of them will wear all white clothing. You will start out as the dishwasher, but then you'll be trained to do all the jobs um, up 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 until chef. And then it was then it was done. And I said, you know, I basically said, oh, that's not likely. And I just kind of threw it back over my shoulder. And then uh, you know, my my last uh, the last question to me on um, the sort of the phone interview. Uh, to, to come down for a visit to this ashram was the, the fellow said, um, oh, by the way, uh, we might have a job for you. Uh, we're about to buy a, a vegetarian cafe. Uh, you know, maybe you could be the dishwasher. And then that memory came back and I didn't say anything because I thought I was going to jinx myself if I said, oh, like, that was the vision I had. I thought he'd <laughs> think I was making that shit up or whatever. I, I was a little bit frightened to say that. Um, but That's then, amazing. you know, it must have been like, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And that, that cafe was just wonderful for, it was perfect. I mean, it was a dream. So, all right. So you're in the ashram, you're there for six and a half years, and then you decide to leave and go into the real world out of your <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, you know, Shangri-La that you had built for yourself. 
So how did you deal with the real world hitting you after? Because I mean, I, I mean, like I have problems coming out of a deep meditation sometimes and walking into the real world. I'm like, after a couple hours, I'm like, and I'm walking out. I'm like, what is what's what? I email. Oh, uh, like it's it it, it disorient. I can't uh, imagine what it's like after six and a half years of that. So how did you deal with it? God, it was it was the, the the best thing I could do and the worst times. Uh, and I and I and I certainly made it harder than I needed to. But I'm, I'm looking back, I'm quite glad that I had some suffering because in some ways I didn't really have much suffering in my life. I I, I didn't feel I mean, you did. I, I mean, was, that whole escapade I at 13, the whole thing at 13. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Defend you. Uh, sorry, that, that, the, the thing at 13 is pretty, pretty intense, sir. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, I know. I know. I was just with all these like 50 year olds in the ashram and they're telling me about their, oh, corporate life, man. What that was like, you know, let me, oh, the kids, you know, the divorce is like, wow, these are grizzled veterans of life here. I'm just a, you know, I'm just a bright eyed bush tailed kid here. Um, but, but yes, you're, that's, that's right. No, I, well, part of it was difficult in the way that I felt. I had to leave um, the the community because I, I did choose to leave, and I'm glad they didn't kick me out, and that I had the grace to actually pull myself up. But for the last year, I'd become a malcontent there, and and really, it was I, I was a year past my expiration date, and I should have pulled myself out before. So mm -hmm. I, I was having these beautiful unitive experiences starting to happen just continuously uh, when I was teaching in Michigan at a at a satellite center of ours. And it was just on. I was sleeping three hours a night and waking up with just bliss all the time. And um, then I was out on one of these late night walks I used to take. And my heart basically said, you know what you need to do? You need to get yourself kicked out. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you know, get, get yourself kicked out, you know, do, you know, uh, you know, leave. And I was like, when everything's going so well. And I, I was just, again, I was trying to like not oh, go with that because it seemed like the worst thing to do. But it, I knew actually at the time I didn't know it was true. I heard the truth and I knew what it was getting at. I had, um, I was using not as much as maybe I knew some people do, but I was using affiliation with um, um, a group of people, you know, uh, with spiritual teachers, with a sense of a tradition. I was using that as a, as a crutch. And, and that, mm -hmm. I, and my heart was basically telling me, you know, that this, this crutch is no good. You need to dispense with the crutch. Uh, I think I would have had an easier time if I left right then and there. Um, but I, I didn't, of course. And then I started kind of getting into arguments, which is good with, with people. And I, and I was seeing, I think the culture did change in my group from the time I'd started to the time I left. When I started, there were all sorts of uh, idiosyncratic characters, we'll put it that way. Who, who were not like groupthink people. But uh, I did see the people who were uh, more averse to groupthink, one by one, they'd leave. And, and, and so I guess it was, it was my time. And, and thankfully I'd made myself a covenant or a deal years before, which is basically like, if you ever find yourself being a malcontent for like a, a long period of time, that's your sign that you need to remove yourself. Mm -hmm. So I kept, my, I kept my deal and I was asked not to teach the practice anymore. Uh, actually, they they took my teacher's manual. They didn't actually ask me not to teach, but that's a, another thing. And that that was kind of a blow, um, you know. And and I was kind of, very quickly. I had this sense of being, I was now on the outside of this insular community, and that was hard. It was like losing a family. It's like losing sure. a second family. And I made life harder on myself than I needed to on the outside. And and if I had if I hadn't been kind of punishing myself in a way, I would have had an easier time. That said. Boy, it was hard going to Portland, Oregon, uh, a great city. I love it. And, I, and it was my home for many years afterwards, but it was weird. Uh, and, and I needed to do this, but, you know, I, I would be in crowds and everyone was just thinking all the time. And, and I had been trained basically to, to be in the silence. And, and if you can't find the silence, then use, use the meditation techniques to, to reorient yourself. And that was, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's very focused. And I was just kind of going around. I was just like, what in the world? Uh, you know, it's different than you're in community and you're kind of semi-cloistered. I would go teach classes. And so the people come to meditation classes, they're self-selected to be kind of have some of that orientation, but, you know, kind of spending time with people with a very different life orientation was, was kind of like, ah, you know, and uh, one of the things I did also miss was our, our ashram had this culture of very free expression. You could, you could basically say what you wanted I mean, not going out of your way to hurt somebody's feelings or something like that, but you could, you could express what was coming up with you without worrying about so much about somebody taking it personally. 
yeah. uh, which was beautiful. And, and you would hold the same space for another person. And for some reason, we just could do it. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and usually there'd be multiple people there if it was you know, sticky to someone. And I, I love that, actually. Uh, but no, no such luck in, in, in the, inside of the pocket of Portland I found myself. That's, I found myself in. That's so, it's so fascinating, too, because, you know, I've, I've seen other monks, you know, who come out publicly to teach and things like that after they've left their ashram or their monastery. And I, there is a culture shock. There's especially if you've been in inside the walls for a long mm. time and and then also you had the diff, the, the other issue of having to leave and how you left and as you were saying the the, the, the being a miscontent or malcontent <laughs> um that's exactly what happened to me when i was at a job that was paying me obscene amounts of money and i was i was like i've made it i'm good i'm making money but why do i hate my job why do i hate <laughs> being here and i was and it was probably about six months over my ex- expiration date till mm. Until yeah. uh, all of a sudden, the universe sent a new supervisor who and I who didn't who did not get along with me. Uh, there's always an there's always an instrument if you don't take care of it on the inside. You'll, right, you'll like, give it something. And they they came in and they looked at the numbers like, why is this guy being paid so much more than everybody else in this department? We got to get rid of this guy. And they figured out a way to get rid of me. And then I was blindsided. And the but two I think three days later I had another freelance job. And then three months after that, I opened up my own company and the rest, as I say, is history uh, in the, in the filmmaking post-production space. So, but it was all needed, but it's, you look back only with time, you look back at your life and you analyze what happened and when it happened, you're like, if that guy wouldn't have shown up, I would have probably stayed there longer than I did, but I was actually doing things to try to get myself fired. I was literally to, I was I was sabotaging my I was being a complete ass. I was being arrogant. I was like, I need to get out of here at four. I'll get all my work done because I'm so much better than everybody else in the department. Things like that. You know, I was, you know, I was in my what, yeah. 20s at that time, 20s or yeah, but I was in my 20s at that time. Uh it, it was fascinating. But yeah, so as you were saying that, that just came back into my head. I was like, yep. And it <laughs> and it's it's a lesson that people listening should really understand yeah. is that if you are unhappy, truly unhappy where you are in life. And this could be spiritually, this could be in your in, in your job, in your marriage, in relationships with friends. If there is an unhappiness that's persistent, that stays with you for a long time, that's someone, some that's something telling you you need to change the situation for yourself. Or yeah. if you don't, forces will start coming into the picture that <laughs> will push you out and it's gonna get more unpleasant. <laughs> I have a little longer God, to yeah, yeah, yeah. It but, seems right? that the universe, the universe has a coterie of um, Apollo clowns with their crook that will, that will like you know pull you hither and yon wherever you need to go. It's a poke yes. first. It's a whisper first. Then it's a, <laughs> then it's a touch on the shoulder. Then it's a, yeah. and all of a sudden the sledgehammer will start coming out, and you're like, oh, okay, I needed to. Uh, I was so glad though, because you know one thing that had been bothering me about myself actually um, in in my monastic times was the sort of the uh, one of the cultish tendencies is this uh, with, with any group is this kind of inside outside dynamic right and um, this kind of this kind of intense insularity and whenever I would catch myself you know in that space or, or speaking from influenced by that kind of although this the god is a little bit more in in this uh, monastic group in this spiritual teaching or this practice than it is out there I, I would feel really uncomfortable I'd want to go like take a shower with scotch bright and, and, and get it, you know, it's like maybe, ew, you know, oh, what do you, ooh, that's there. And, and I couldn't, but I couldn't shake it really well. That was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it, was, it, was, it had some fairly deep roots. And, and so the mechanism for shaking it was me going out, going to university, being in the world and being um, all, I think all, a lot of the things that I had judged and going and being that dumb myself. Right. And, and, the, and, the, and that's why I'm so grateful because I, that did the trick. I guess I needed, I needed the brick wall mm. at that point. I was having trouble learning the lesson in a more elegant fashion. And, and it's not do, like, as I'm we not do. actually, <laughs> as, as we do. Yeah. And it's God, funny enough. It's not like I, I, I'm not, not that wasn't a drinker, wasn't really doing drugs, wasn't having bad relationships or anything like that. It was just like not being myself, you know, I've decided I'll purposefully be muting and, and not letting the Holy spirit flow through. And that was just, that was pain. 
that was painful. So, and so, it, so I'm I'm glad for it. So it seems to me from our conversation is that there that there's things that that life has in store for you, and there has to be certain things that happen to push you in that direction. It doesn't seem like you're going in the elegant fashion, whether that's the, thir <laughs> the 13 year old experience, whether it's this experience, I'm sure you've probably had a few other ones in your life as well that have pushed and pushed you along the way. And I think mm -hmm. we all get a little bit of that, but yours mm -hmm. are pretty extreme <laughs> to say the least. Well, well, Alex, yeah, for me, it was like a mix of both. There's some things I was like a wunderkind at, and there's other things I was right. dumb as a stone. Right. So, you know. Uh, You're so much more advanced know. spiritually at, a, at such an early age. You're having <laughs> mystical experience. You understand meditation. So you have a lot of these things that we all search for, like <laughs> that people search for, and you had it. But yet the simple things that we might have figured <laughs> out, you're just like, no, nah, I'm know. not going to go down that road. Like We've all got something. So everybody, I, I was, I, it does right. It made me a much better teacher, though, when yeah. I went back to teaching, and and I was I was actually going to honor. I had even deference, even though I was critical of certain aspects of um, the organization. I was I was very deferential. I was very appreciative of everything I was given. So I wasn't going to teach again, if if that was part of the deal. And but when I finally did come back to it, uh, I was I was so much better. Than I had happy. been before. You found, you found your path. I, I was, uh, yeah, and, and it was just a, some magical years that it, you know, when I when I came back to it, it was just, it was seamless. I had, uh, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this then. Why do we have such struggles finding our purpose? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, all of us do. It took me, yeah, it took me the better part of forty odd years to figure out what I wanted to do or what I was here to really do which is what I'm doing currently. And, but I picked up so many tools along the way doing other things that benefit this part of me that I couldn't do this without that. So it's kind of like, it's a beautiful master plan that I had no idea about uh, walking through, but it takes, some people don't find it in a lifetime. They don't find what yeah. they're happy with. They like, I think it's Robin Sharma, the, the, the author who says, most people are, uh, most people die at 20 and are buried mm. at 80. And I was like, oh, that's so mm. powerful because they just yeah. go down the road that they shouldn't be going down. So why do you think that? Why do you think that we have such struggles doing finding our purpose? Well, I mean, we're, we're not exactly helped along. I mean, when we die at, you know, when we, uh, I, I, you know, I, I actually, uh, the great, late, great um, alternative uh, historian, John Anthony West, um, I, I, I agree with his assessment of a so-called civilization <laughs> that, that we live in. Uh, shiny barbarism, he called it. Um, and and we're, we're not exactly helped. We're, we're, we're kind of taught to go in every other direction, but back back into our source, unless we're incredibly lucky. Um, right. We're, there, there's so much pressure and momentum the other direction to... Materialism. And some of it's, yeah, materialism. And some of those things are, are helpful in the practical sense, but we're, we're not exactly, as Maharishi Mahashogi would say, like we're taught ABC and one, two, three, but we're not taught how to go back to the source of them. And, and, and you know, the source, and, and that's exactly it. Uh, if, if we were, if we go back to the source, uh, if we go to these deeper strata of consciousness, I should define what I mean by that. But if we, if we start to experience uh, being totally at peace, in, the, in that kind of peak experience state in which worry about the future, regret about the past disappears and we start to cultivate that, then a lot of the, the miasma of you know, self-recrimination, we, we have so much going on in our head that isn't useful. A lot of those habits start to fall away and when they start fall away, we have deeper clarity. And, and with that deeper clarity also, we, we start to be able to actually hear these, some, sometimes some of the most beautiful parts of ourselves were buried in childhood even much before 20. They were buried mm. before age four, right? And right. and 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 we as we start to actually kind of de-stress, detensify, because yeah, you know most of us are kind of like that without knowing it. That stuff it becomes easier and easier to actually hear what 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 our soul is trying to say or what your heart's trying to say or put it in different terms what what's buried deep down in the shadow portion of the psyche, mm. um, and that's been one of my my favorite parts of uh, like watching people go through spiritual growth with um, meditation or this is the path I'm familiar with was watching people discover like, you know, hidden talents 
uh, and, and realized like, oh my God, I, I loved this as a child. And why did I put it away? You know, what, and, and then all of us you know, have seen beautiful blossoming well past the age of 40. Mm-hmm. When people think like, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't turn it around past here, you know, you know, stick a fork in me, I'm done or something like that. But it doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be so. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So, I mean, that's part of it. The, the weight of the weight of society, the weight of conditioning is, is usually what I think of as the primary uh, um, uh, deterrent to actually knowing who we uh, are. I mean, Colonel Sanders started KFC at 65. I'm we kidding. we were both thinking of Colonel Sanders. You know, actually, I had Harlan on my mind. That's cool. I mean, I'm 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 vegan and plant based, but I gotta give it to him. I mean, he <laughs> got he's in, he's an inspirational story to say the least. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, he might be a bit of a brick wall guy too. There's a lot of grit, 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 grind, grit, grind, like, grind, kind of grind, 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 kind of like Lincoln, you know, failure, 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 failure. And all of a sudden you're the, you're the president of the United States. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, now, Isha, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Ask all of my guests. Yeah. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Mm, wow. <laughs> That's beautiful. Actually, that's a very difficult question. I never even think about that. Well, my, my definition of living a good life is, is basically living as much in the present moment as you possibly can. Uh, more are defined more than the present moment, uh, living in that space that's timeless. And when you live from that timeless space, then funnily enough, you, you don't become less of an individual. You, you, know, you don't become you know, suddenly beige and you know, having no characteristics, you, you, often people become more eccentric in a sense. Mm-hmm. They become who, you know, specifically who they, who they need to be. And, and so if you can then live from that place in, in, in which you're, you're singing the song that's basically been, been put to you, that's beautiful. That, that to me is, is, is living, you know, dharma, our dharma is a song, our purpose is a song. And then you're, and, and that's wonderful. So what is your mission in this life? to <laughs> live that song. No, that's very circular, isn't it? Uh, well, what I, what I take joy in um, besides chai and curry, uh, you know, well, you know, apart from chai and curry, uh, I, I, love, I love helping people. You know, you really actually can't, nobody can really do that much in helping another. You can do like a little bit and then it's, it's, all, it's always up to, up to them. But I, I love kind of being around when people are discovering the song within themselves. I love encouraging people to, you know, break through whatever they need to break through to relax more than they're comfortable with relaxing mm. and discovering that within themselves. So that, that I think is my purpose. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? <laughs> Singing! <laughs> to sing, sir. To sing and dance, sir. To sing and dance. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. I, I, I think funny that that was the end of um, Yellow Submarine. That, that, yeah. that's, that's right. Uh, yeah, went to Blue Meads. Tried to do it in the same inflection, but um, but kind of in, in that sense. I mean, I could say something very abstract, which is, which I think is true, which is to, you know, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi used to say, "Live two hundred percent of life." Um, what he really meant by that is, if you could discover that, you know, infinite um, still point that you know is formless inside you that's 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 an incredible boom but you're not done yet then the next thing is to also allow the love that if you could put that for if you could give the formless a form we'd call it love or we'd call it god to flow through you fully completely that's 200 percent in a sense so to me that that's really the purpose to to um you know, be be a channel of love and where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing, sir? Well, I've got websites. What? <laughs> what? I know. What, what's that? They're, they're, I, I probably have to edit those websites for you know all you viewing public out there. Uh, you know, but uh, I have a couple websites. One of them is a meditation website. Another of uh, them is uh, for one of my less reputable um, uh, professions, which is as an intuitive astrologer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in those two professions, 
as meditation teacher and intuitive astrologer, I, I basically feel like I'm I'm tackling the two sides in a sense of 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 that um, infinity. I'm helping people to find the formless, and I'm also helping people to reconnect with their with their dharma and their true purpose through the astrological work. So. Ishtar, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor talking to you, my friend. It has been an adventure to say at least. I feel like I've gone through your life's path as we've talked through this conversation in a wonderful way. <laughs> the highlights, like the highlights and the the ups and the downs, and we've really kind of got an idea of your of your journey. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing in the world, trying to help uh, as many souls as you possibly can. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Alex. <laughs> I want to thank Ishtar so much for sharing his journey with all of us. And if you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 133. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.